Hey everybody, I'm so excited to share this conversation with you that I had with Rebecca Bender. She is grit, resiliency, wisdom, and definitely a sense of humor all wrapped up in an incredible story of triumph and redemption. She was trafficked for years, but out of that trauma and horror, she actually now has her own book and is the CEO of the Rebecca Bender Initiative and founder of Elevate Academy, which is the largest online school for survivors of human trafficking in the world. It's geared towards providing them with professional development, mentoring, specialized curriculum, and the tools they need to thrive. In our conversation, we touched on how to stop our spiraling thoughts in their tracks, how to develop grit, why our stories all matter, and even how to go about instilling good character in the next generation. I hope you enjoy her advice and perspective just as much as I did. Welcome to today's episode of the Best You Can Be Leadership Podcast, where we offer bite-sized lessons and steps that you can implement as a part of your journey towards becoming the very best that you can be. This is your podcast host, Brigitte Bornstein, and just so you know, for planning purposes, we release a new episode the first and third Tuesday of every month with some amazing guests. Thank you so much for joining me for today's discussion. I hope you'll return my handshake to you. You can do that through becoming a part of this community on Instagram, my website, bestyoucanbe.com, or by subscribing and leaving helpful comments. Good morning, Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining me. I have been looking forward to this forever, it feels like, and I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Your book, which I actually have right here as my podcast recording prop. um, (laughs) (laughs) It's called In Pursuit of Love. For those of you listening, it came out, I believe, in January of 2020. And I kind of just wanted to ask you, how does it feel now to be almost a year and a half in book years? Yeah. You know, it's crazy. My book, it did come out January 28th, which January is National Human Trafficking Awareness Month. So we got it in right before the month ended. But COVID hit in March and I was on, I had put together a whole bunch of speaking engagements and different places that wanted to bring us in to talk about it. And we only got not even halfway in and COVID kind of hit and canceled a lot of that. So it's fine. We pivoted, did a lot of podcasts, but the year was just crazy, right? Like March to March or February to February of this last 12 months during COVID um, has been hard for everyone. And, And I'm no exception, right? Trying to suddenly homeschool three children on Zoom while having to pivot your book launch plans all the things, run a company, we're all in this crazy uh, hubbub. So it was really great to celebrate one year with the book and to be able to see, feel like I'm coming up for breath enough to start kind of like uh, re-energized talking about it again. Not that I wasn't at first, but it was like, well, it's time to talk about a book. I got kindergarten due. I've got Zoom scheduled to figure out. I got to get my team online. Like it was just so much. It felt like the book took a little bit of a back burner. So it is what it is. It it happens. I do have another book coming out this fall, though, that um, I'll be excited to share more about, too. Oh, that is very exciting. Well, it's a fantastic book. Uh, so I highly recommend it to everyone. Thank um, you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for writing it. I don't even know how much work goes into a book, but I know that it's a lot. It is a lot. I think it's a lot when you're telling your story too. And I think, you know, you, I'm sure a lot of listeners, all, everybody really, we all have a story to tell. And when you open yourself up to be vulnerable, to share some of that inside moments of your personal story and how things made you feel and how you processed it, um, it can be scary and intimidating because you're being so vulnerable for other people's feedback. Well, why'd you think that way? Well, I wouldn't have thought that way. And and those fears can, can kind of overtake you. But um, I just kept pushing through and saying, you know what, I'm not going to listen to those. There are going to be more people that understand how hard it is when you're in really complex situations and really compounded trauma, that they're not just black and white, cut and dry answers. And, and so the response has been so great to have people reach out and say, wow, we're a lot more alike than we are different. I think you hear human trafficking and you think, oh my gosh, them and us and these victims and then the people that haven't. And you're like, I've actually been tricked by a boyfriend too, or I've actually had my feelings hurt by someone, I've been betrayed by someone I trusted. Like all of those situations we all can actually relate to. And that's what I found so beautiful about the book was it, it brought a lot of us together. Absolutely. I mean, that's cool to hear from the author herself. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you really quickly about um, your family because I just feel like on social media, I always see you be so proud of your daughters. And I feel like I'm like right there on the, you know, in the stands of the track when you're, when you're at your third <laughs> track meets. Um, yeah, you're just so full of joy when you talk about your family. And I was wondering if you could, if you wouldn't mind just introducing us to them and sort of that part of your, your life. Yes. Oh, that's so sweet of you. Um, gosh, I just love my girls. I get teary-eyed even thinking about I'm just so grateful. I'm so, so deeply grateful. And so I think that joy people feel is my gratitude for um, escaping and having freedom and for my daughter to be doing the things she's doing coming from the past she's come from is so remarkable. Only, only God. And to be able to live the dream that I wanted my whole life. Um, and that was the dangling carrot that my trafficker used against me. And now I've accomplished those dreams without him and been able to actually say, you know what, I wanted my whole life to have a family. And that was the lure that I was promised as a young girl that never came. And when I was able to finally escape and get healing and pursue it, I, I was blessed with this incredible family. And so I just have deep, deep, deep gratitude um, for that. So I have four daughters. I have a seven, nine and 11 and 12, 21 year old. I'm sorry. Seven, let me do that again. Seven, nine, 11, 21. Stella is my baby. She was named after my husband's grandma. And then I have Evangeline, Isla, and then Deshay. So those are my four girls. I didn't want girls. I got all four. <laughs> I always say that people are like, sometimes they look at me weird. I'm, I, based, because of what I've been through, I was really afraid to have girls. I was afraid because I know what I know what's out there. And thankfully, through a lot of healing, I was able to say, no, I hope I hope my daughters turn out to be great, strong women leaders that go after their dreams. And and we get to be, you know, a role model for that in some capacity. So that's my girls. My husband's name's Matt, and we met at church. He was the sound guy. Watch out for those sound guys, ladies. And he, um, he's just what we call him just our anchor. Uh, to our house. I'm wild and crazy and he's our calm, stable 
support that and rock that we all get to lean on. And I'm so grateful for him. It's hard in the beginning when you're so different. I hope I'm not the only person out there that thinks that, but when you're really different with your spouse, it can be hard. And the first couple of years of our marriage was definitely really rough of me and him trying to figure out how do you be a yin and yang? How do you be a motor and an anchor and not be frustrated by the differences and not vie to make one another like you instead of embracing this really great partnership? Uh, that took a really long time and a lot of counseling for us to figure out. So just being honest. <laughs> no, absolutely. And well, you have a beautiful family. Thanks. <laughs> so thank you so much. Um, I guess my first question is related. As a mom of those four precious girls, how do you go about trying to instill leadership in your daughters specifically? Yes. One of the things I think that is so crucial is letting them do things on their own um, and also not getting them everything they ask for, not because you can't, but because you don't want to cultivate entitlement in our kids. I have a lot of people that I, I love dearly, but their kids get everything they ask for. And I'm like, have you ever thought of telling them no just to tell them no? Like just because that's real life and you got to figure out how to develop character when you don't get what you want. You got to figure out how to have self-control, how to have good sportsmanship. You're going to need that as an athlete. You're going to need that as a roommate. You're going to need that as a coworker. You're going to need that as a boss. And so those are real skills that I think I think about a lot is just I'm not just raising girls, like I'm raising future women, I'm raising future bosses, I'm raising future wives, I'm raising future mothers. And so how can I use this time to cultivate some character in them? It's not to say we nail it every time. I'm like, I got a couple girls that I'm like, Jesus help us with this one. But um, you know, you do your best to think through, think through those things in terms of can she do her own laundry? Is she going to be a messy roommate? Um, and maybe this was just part of having a daughter up at college. And she was, we're so grateful. She had a phenomenal roommate we loved. But you hear horror stories of like, wow, your roommates did what? And I thought, gosh, I never want to raise my girls to be those kind of roommates or those kind of team members or employees. And so how do we create habits in the home before it's too late? Someone told me once to parent like an upside down triangle. You keep boundaries really tight when they're small, then you can give them more freedom as they get older in middle school and high school because they've been raised with much more like developed character lines and boundary lines. But if you raise like a your kids like a regular triangle and they have all this freedom when they're little to do whatever they want, you actually have to start tightening the reins as they get older and that becomes really difficult. So for me, those were really good tips. I'm just sharing from someone else's or not from my brain. I'm not that clever. <laughs> Really good advice. Um, I guess moving into your book, you in your book, you share a lot of, of course, the many, many values in your journey from how you got trafficked in the first place to how you eventually found your way out. And I think that the most profound realization for me was learning that it's not just about getting out of that situation and out of that cycle, but getting out and getting set up for starting life all over again. And I also watched a speech that you delivered where you referenced this part of your journey and you talked about how survivors are are kind of robbed of the years of professional development and of years of leadership development and then just kind of thrown into the world that requires it. And I just can't imagine the resiliency that it took for you to 
really, really bravely start all over again. So I was wondering if you wouldn't mind shedding a little bit of light just on what was required from you to cut ties once and for all with kind of the snares of trafficking um, and the trafficking world to start all over again on your own as a single mom with nothing. Wow, that was so good. I want to snap. That was really, you could have done, you tell, you you nailed it. I don't know. Um, I did my research. <laughs> it. I think this is something, I'm so glad you asked this. And and I, I love all the interviews I do. They're all great. And I do, I'm often asked to share the story. And then we just run out of time to get to some of these really great kind of nuggets for everyone of how do you start over with nothing? How do you cultivate resiliency? And to be so thoughtful, and I'm so glad you were, thank you, of, you know, starting over is really, really hard. It's, it's what keeps you from running. It's what causes you to go back to your trafficker multiple times. It's causes any, a lot of women that are in domestic violence to go back to violent relationships or abusive relationships over and over is because this, this middle ground, this interim phase from A to Z, there's all these years and development in between that I sometimes say, it's just really hard to navigate worlds you know nothing about. And it can be oftentimes easier to just go back to what's familiar. And I would encourage people not to. Just don't, just set it in your heart. Like I can't go back to what's familiar. Familiar got me here. <laughs> if nothing changes, nothing changes. We've all, we hear these cliches and they're easy to like throw around or put on a coffee mug or hang up on a plaque on our wall. But if you actually like took out a journal and wrote that down, if, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And I can't return to what's familiar because familiar got me here. If you're not liking the place you're in, I, sh I should clarify, right? So what does that mean? Like, how do you dig your heels in and say, you know what, I'm not going to respond the way I used to respond, or I'm going to bite my tongue. This time I'm going to respond different. This time I'm going to choose a different path that I would normally instinctually go left. This time I'm going to pause and go, you know what? I go left every time this happens. I'm going to try doing nothing this time, or I'm going to try going right. You know, things like that. You have to be kind of intentional. Um, and that's not always easy to do, and you will not hit a home run every time. <laughs> Sometimes you just go left because it's habit. So I say give yourself grace to not hit a home run every single time and 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 to just try something new. Another visual that I actually had a coach give me once is I think I think of this, maybe, maybe this is the mom in me, but have you ever made a pot of noodles where you're like stirring the macaroni noodles because you don't want them to stick to the bottom? Tell me I'm not the only one, right? So you're oh, standing absolutely. okay, you're at the stove, you're stirring the noodles, you don't want them to stick, and you see that they kind of begin their own natural whirlpool. Do you know what I'm talking about? They're all going in the same direction. What would happen if you just stood your spatula still for a minute and all the noodles hit that wooden spoon, right? That's how we have to do with sometimes our thought life and to change up the situation. I always go in this circle. I always do it this way. I always respond this way. What if you just stuck your wooden spoon down for a minute and said, you know what? I'm going to do it different this time and watch everything change. Um, and that's just something that's you have to I don't know. It just doesn't come easy. But if you if you start journaling about it and you talk about it, it just will be more cognitive kind of in the front of your mind. That's really good. I bet we're probably all going to think about that next time we make noodles. There you go. 
And now you'll start thinking, you know, how can I respond to my husband differently next time? Mm -hmm. He says this, and I always say, don't you remit, right? Like, well, then don't do that this time and see what happens. Not because of anything more than I want to respond differently. I think the root word of familiar is family. And sometimes we only repeat what we've been modeled and not necessarily always biological family, but just that concept of I'm going to. I'm going to do things the way that I've always been shown. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the way that you actually might want to do it. <laughs> so creating new habits is hard. I was trafficked for six years. I came into a life of normalcy, quote unquote, uh, with a lot, a lot of bad habits. I was a very angry young woman. Um, I was very irritable and frustrated. I had a ton of PTSD that I didn't even know existed. I'd have anxiety and panic attacks over things that made me feel manipulated. Um, so, you know, when someone in the grocery store wants to sell you something, that would trigger me in a sense of like, don't you try to trick me? You know, like that kind of feeling would rise up in my chest. I'd feel like I'd get this angriness that I'm like, they're trying to trick me, you know? And clearly, if you know you're, someone's past, you can empathize with like, well, yeah, you're trafficked for six years. Of course, things like that can make you feel prickly. But I didn't want to stay there. I didn't want to stay always being in a state of anxiety and heightened like response how do I heal from that? You know? And so therapy helped and community support and a variety of things, but that's not easy. Like identifying, being really self-aware of what habits you bring into something and trying to figure out how to change them is not easy. Right. I mean, that's something that anybody can relate to with, with any number of habits. Of course, the longer that you're in them, the more ingrained they become, but on a, on a similar topic to that and just the resiliency involved in you know, sticking your spatula or your spoon in the middle of the pot, right? And and choosing to turn right when you would usually go left, or at least just stop and think about it. One of the biggest buzzwords, I think, going around leadership communities right now is grit um, for maybe the past couple of years. And you've probably exhibited more grit in your life than anybody I've ever read about. Um, I think anybody who reads your book or hears you speak would probably agree with me. And I wanted to ask you, do you think that grit is something that we are just born with? Or do you think that it's something that we can really develop on our own? I don't want to put an answer in your mouth, but if you think it's something that we can develop, then I wanted to ask a follow-up question of how, how mm -hmm. can we develop grit? So, but Oh, you're making me all teary-eyed. Thanks for saying that. I think, I, you know, you don't tend to recognize those things about yourself because you're just so busy with your, you know, nose to the ground trying to get things done that you don't sometimes stop and think, wow, I have grit. I just never would have thought that. So that's, thank you. Um, I do think that we're all born with a certain, probably amount of resiliency and grit. I think there's a lot of psychology out there on resiliency and how we how we all are born with certain varying amounts. Um, but we can strengthen what we have and we can get stronger in both resiliency and grit. I liken any kind of emotion um, or character to a physical muscle. You know, I think all of us might be born with predisposition to carry weight in our thighs, at least I am. Um, 
<laughs> or some of us might be born to a really athletic family. And so jumping into athletics is second nature for for you. And so I, I think of that similarly with, we all might be born with a certain amount of disposition to one thing or a certain amount, but we can always strengthen it. Hey, you guys, I'm just going to quickly hit the pause button on this to just say thank you to everybody who has left a star rating and a comment review for the podcast. It truly makes such a significant impact on expanding our ability to reach more young women and encourage them in their confidence, their leadership, their personal journeys. So it truly means the world to me. Each and every review, I love it and I'm so thankful. And if you haven't gotten the chance to do that yet, this is just your friendly reminder that it is something that I would be so grateful from the very bottom of my heart. That is not an understatement. And let's keep going. And if you use that same example of any physical muscle, you know, how do you strengthen a muscle? Well, you have to practice it and you have to start using more pressure. <laughs> and so I think we can use that in our own personal lives of, you know, whatever I practice is going to get stronger. It's just true. If I run all the time, I'm going to get more endurance. I mean, my lungs will be able to work better. My legs might get more in shape. And if I practice kindness, that's going to get stronger. Um, if I practice gossip, that will get stronger. And it's kind of my choice on what I'm going to practice. And that's where I think grit comes in, where it's like you have to determine what you want to practice. And again, you're not going to nail it every time. There's times I'm like, I'm no longer going to murmur and complain and be hypercritical as of today no more. <laughs> and then my husband forgets the milk and I'm like, really, really one, one job. You had one job, you know? <laughs> so, you know, give yourself grace that you're not going to nail it. But I think if we're at least thinking about that, like how do you develop grit? Well, what, what character do we need for grit? We need discipline. Uh, we need resolve. We need not to give up. We need to pause and go left. We want to go right. Like those are things that face fears, step into fear, use fear as a check engine light. Um, it's the way you should go. When you see fear, instead of going, oh, I'm scared, maybe I should back away, like, uh-uh, uh-uh. Fear is the light that you're supposed to go towards. And so, I mean, not healthy fear, not like dangerous fear. Of course, you want to use, <laughs> use, <laughs> use wisdom there uh, with, what I, with my example. But, you know, if you're like, oh, I don't really want to go talk to that girl at, the ch at church or at the new community center at the office. Um, I'm afraid. What if she thinks this or that? Like, that might be the whole relationship that you need to get you, um, th that you've been longing for. And so I would encourage people to use some of those initial responses as some check engine lights to like, no, I'm going to actually use that as a thing I'm going to step into, even though it's uncomfortable, even though I'm afraid. We do that with our kids. We're like, don't mm -hmm. be afraid, go make friends. And then we're sitting at home lonely because we don't want to go talk to the new person at church. <laughs> You know, so I don't know. Those are some things I, I think that are helpful to just strengthen, you know, strengthen the things in your life that you want to cultivate. Journal. What are some habits and characters of, that I really want to have about myself and how can I strengthen those? How can I begin practicing to make it stronger every single day? My daughter, you mentioned she's an athlete. She's a track and field athlete. She's a hurdler and a sprinter, and uh, she's a phenomenal Division One athlete. We love going to the sporting events and watching her, and I post them on my social all the time. But she thinks about running, you know, all the time. She thinks about her diet. She doesn't drink soda. When she comes home for Christmas, she's very thoughtful around protein and carbs, and she gets her workouts in every day during um, holidays. And I don't ever think of running 
not ever. Like, like I never think of it. I don't, I'm not like, I should go running. Like I never, ever think of it. I think wine, I should drink some wine. I wonder what they're having, what flights are on sale. Is it rosé all day? Like I think of other things. And so we just have to lean into, that's usually like, those are the things about us that we, that are actually the gifts and talents and dreams that you have. And so lean into the things you think a lot about and figure out ways to, to practice them and get stronger. I, I agree with you. I think it takes a lot of discipline, but I love how you said, you know, you can practice something as simple as kindness and you can also practice something like gossip. Um, that's just, that's really good to keep in mind. And that also made me think of when you were just talking about how fear is, you know, healthy fear is like what you should go towards. That made me think of what I feel like an extremely pivotal part in your journey was when somebody, and forgive me, I forget her name, but she, she probably had a little bit of fear. I'm talking about the the woman who came up to you and shared the gospel um, message with you. I mean, mm-hmm. I think you two were strangers, right? It probably ran through her mind. Like, Oh, what is she going to think? Like, what if I, what mm-hmm. if she thinks I'm weird? Um, but she walked up to you. And I, I feel like that was a very important moment in your life. Right. I think the story you're referring to is the one in the hotel parking lot. Is that the one? Okay. So she was another trafficked victim. So I don't even know her real name. I had met her a couple times prior through the escort service that we were both trafficked through. So I knew her as Kyra. I don't know her real name. Um, She had a Canadian accent. If I ever find her, she's ever listening. (laughs) I'd love for her to reach out. I don't know her real name. Um, And so I'd only met her a couple times through that. And And then here we are, we were both leaving the same call together, standing in this parking garage. And she said, I don't, I don't know if you know Jesus, but I just have this overwhelming feeling that I need to tell you that God loves you. And yeah, I couldn't imagine the fear, but I think, I don't know if, you know, I hope other people have felt this intense feeling of like, I just have to say something. I just have to say something. I can't, like, you can't not say something. It's eating you inside. You're like, I got to get this out. I just cannot bite my tongue another moment. Those are, those are definitely moments of fear where we can choose. Am I going to not do anything and walk away um, and regret it? Uh, Or am I going to step out and face my fear and say the thing that keeps bubbling up inside that I, I can't dismiss? And we get to strengthen that, right? Am I going to step out and face fear and start becoming someone with grit that you're like, you know what, I'm not going to let fear hold me back. And I might use wisdom in the word choice I use. I might be thoughtful and and intentional about how I want to deliver what's on my heart, not just spout it out wildly because I know our words matter. But and again, it's not to say I use that. I've practiced that every single day. When If someone's listening like, no, nah, I heard her spout off the other day. I'm like, remember, I said I didn't get it right every time. <laughs> I never want to appear like I do nail this every time, guys. We're all in a process, right? But I'm getting better. I used to do it, you know, every time. And now it's like once a month, I get it wrong. (laughs) So um, yeah, facing fear with any of those situations is not easy. Um, But that's what, that's how you strengthen your aptitude. That's how you strengthen your grit. That's how you strengthen leaning into things. And really, it's how you become that role model for those around you that you have influence in their lives, right? My daughters are learning how to do that by watching me and and sometimes I have to pull pull one of them back a little and be like hey remember we have to like be thoughtful around the words remember remember that part of the message <laughs> so yeah that just made me that just made me think of that so i appreciate you 
sharing that small snippet of uh, of your story, but I wanted to switch gears into something a little bit different. Um, I've just seen a lot of your trainings mention this, and I was wondering if you could explain to us how to identify where our thoughts are stemming from, kind of like what the root is of our thoughts, and then how to reframe them when, for example, we feel really, really rushed about something or we feel super anxious or overwhelmed and, and things like that. Yeah. One of the things I use personally is just that I use this saying that I read somewhere a long time ago of, you know, God is patient and Satan rushes. So if I'm feeling rushed, I have to pause and go, am I feeling pressure to respond right away from the Lord? Or am I feeling rushed to make an answer and I'm I'm being rushed into a decision that I'm actually not having a clear direction from the Holy Spirit on. And it's okay to pause things. It's okay to push an answer back. It's okay to tell someone, you know what, I'm going to have to get back to you in a few weeks on that. I've learned that over the years. I, I have felt, um, and again, I always, I've been saying this on every single time, like, I hope someone out there can relate with me. <laughs> but there are times when I felt really pressured to make to get back to someone right away, to say yes or no, or commit to something right away. And anytime I start to feel a little bit of anxiety, like, gosh, I just don't know if I'm gonna have the time in September to do that, and I don't know yet, blah, 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 and I start spiraling out. Um, and it makes me more anxious because I feel like I need to give them an answer right away. I've started learning that it's okay to push things off. I started saying to people, what's the latest you can hear back from me by? I'm not really ready to make a commitment that far in advance right now what's the latest you can hear back from me by? Or would I be able to get back to you in a few weeks on that? And then I just put a reminder in my calendar to remind my, myself to respond. But I think that's given me a lot more, like take a deep breath. You don't have to respond today. Um, our world changes really quick right now. Things are constantly changing. When you have four kids, um, it's really hard to, I'm, I'm, I like to fulfill the commitments I make. And so I will tend to work, um, overwork myself by completing the things that I have said yes to. And I've learned that maybe I need to stop saying yes so quickly uh, because I'm excited about everything. I want to be a part of all of it. I get FOMO real quick. I'm an Enneagram three. I am in, I'm excited. I want you to like me. I'm committed. We'll follow through, right? Like that's <laughs> tends to be the, the lane I run in. And I've had to learn with age to just um, not say yes to everything so quickly in my excitement to be a part. Uh, not because I don't really want to, but I only have so many hours in the day too, and I can't do it all. And it doesn't mean that I don't want to, you know, be there with people or or do something. So I don't know those are just some, again, kind of check engine lights as you develop grit for your own self. What do I really want to invest my my energy in today? And I know we all say these things. I think it's just easier said than done. I think. We have to take minutes like this to listen to something and go, you know what? I need to get better about that. That's a good reminder. I used to do that last year and somehow I had to rush through, you know, this or that and, and seasons uh, change and they cause us to, to create and fall into new habits that sometimes you just need a little reminder that you don't want to stay in that season forever and you don't want to stay there long enough to create new habits. That's for sure. Yeah. I think that's a really good phrase that you, that you said you'll use sometimes asking the other person when's the latest that I can get back to you. Um, so you can kind of like make their schedule mesh with your schedule and that can quickly dissipate some of the 
overwhelm of just how fast paced things are nowadays. I think my, my husband drew, I just call him drew on the podcast. Cause I talk about him all the time, but he gave me similar advice. And he, he said, well, why don't you, when someone's asking something and I get excited too, I'm like, yes, I want to commit. And when I, when I'm committed, I like to do a great job and be fully there. And he's like, okay, why don't you next time somebody asks you something, why don't you say when you're, when you're setting the schedules with them, why don't you say, what did the next couple weeks look like or the next few weeks because I would respond with like oh I'm free tomorrow at this time and the day after at this time and then things would just be super crammed and I'm like I don't even know what's going on <laughs> totally I have to tell myself that too I'm like you know what? I have even right now so I what's today June so even now I'm like when someone emails I'm like my first response has to be what does September look like for you? Because I am slammed for June, July, and August. It's summer, my kids are busy, I have some traveling that we need to do for a wet, like you, summers fill up so quick as working parents that it's it's okay to ask people, what does your fall look like? My summer's pretty slammed already. Like, that's okay. And actually most people get that. It's, no one's gonna have hurt feelings. Most people are like, wow, I actually really appreciate that. <laughs> that someone, you know, most people respond like we're responding now. Like, oh yeah, I wish I did that more too. <laughs> no one's ever thinking, wow, I can't believe her. She won't get back to me in this 30 days. You know, you're like, no, I actually have to have room to eat dinner and use the restroom. There's an idea. <laughs> right. Well, I actually think that this podcast is a perfect example because here we are. I am a. I could just show you that I, my feelings were not hurt at all. Because I, um, I emailed requesting this uh, episode interview months ago, and the response was, "Hey, like we aren't open for this until June." And I said, "Okay, awesome. Yep, she's a busy lady, and I'm just gonna wait until June and do my part and follow up." But the, it's. I think that if anything, it's it's refreshing. Um, so I think that that's. I think that's really good advice. I want to do another big pivot into a different area of okay. question asking. <laughs> um, <laughs> another question that I wanted to really ask you, and this is sort of in your role, right? So you have a you wear a lot of hats, especially as a leader, and one of them is how you train and kind of shape the training for. Uh, your nonprofit, of course. And when I was doing my research on, you know, everything that you do with that, I came across you talking about how you go about equipping somebody to stop believing that she is defined by her past. So I wanted to ask you, how do you go about equipping someone to stop believing that she is defined by her past, whether it's by past mistakes, failures, or of course, the trauma that you deal with? That's a great question. Boy, I wish I would have remembered what you read because I don't know that I'll have the same answer today. This always happens with improv, right? You're like, what did I say last time? I don't know. Um, I think it was today, a YouTube video. Oh, okay. Well, today I would just say for someone that's listening that really is struggling with, with um, living and with being identified with some of their past mistakes, you know, I would just encourage people, shame is, shame is, is, shame will take you down quickly and you can't let it control the thoughts of your mind. You have to just constantly change the channel of your mind. When shame wants to start drawing you down, recognize it, go, oh, I'm feeling shame on that. 
I really want to go there. Believe me, I I have gone and played with shame on the playground of my mind a million times and it leads to nowhere. Um, it just actually draws you deeper and deeper into sadness and depression and and regret. And we we just can't live in that space. You have to, talking about grit, you got to pull yourself up and go, you know what, I can't, I'm not going to think those thoughts anymore. I'm going to purposefully set my mind on things and I start thinking about what my kids are going to do for school or what I'm going to do this summer. And you just, you have to be really intentional to like, la, 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 right to your thoughts when it, when they try to come in all the time. And, and those get stronger. The more you practice that, the stronger it gets to kind of change channels. I will say a transferable skill for me coming from a life of, of exploitation, I should say a life of, but having a past of exploitation is, um, we we can disassociate real easy. I can turn off, you know, and I've gotten better at making sure my emotions stay forward. But anyone who's experienced any kind of abuse, it can get um, it can become habitual if you're not really careful around also like stopping emotions and focusing on something else. And that's not always a good thing. So I just want to caution people with you don't want to become so like turn it off. Think of something else that you don't also sit in what might be conviction versus condemnation. Don't let condemnation, but be be able to say, you know what, I don't want, I wish I would have responded that way. I got to do that different next time. And and that's okay to like acknowledge it, accept it, and then start, you know, cultivating your thoughts on something else. But what I think is important for people to know who have lived through really hard things um, and and who haven't, it doesn't matter what we've, we've all lived through something, right? We all have different amounts of, of things that we've lived through. We all have a story to tell is that your past does not have to define you. You get to today define what you want your future to look like. You do. You get to say, you know what? I wanna be a lawyer. I wanna be a doctor. I decided I wanna go become an author. I wanna start a podcast. I wanna do, you're gonna set your mind of what you wanna do. You don't have to let all of the, well, but you, or what if, and nope. I'm not, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go over that hurdle when it comes. I am gonna set my course on the goals. I'm going to live with no regrets. I'm going to put my nose down. I'm going to figure it out and take an e-course. I'm going to reach out and ask questions. I'm going to ask someone if, for coffee in my community that might have some insight. You just start figuring out how to do it and you learn as you go and you cross those hurdles as you go, but you don't, you know, you don't get, you don't leave the race. You stay in the race, you stay in your lane, you keep pushing forward. Um, and that's what grit is about, right? It's like, I can't give up. For me, it was easy because I had nothing to go back to. Um, I couldn't go back to a life of trafficking. I, I mean, I could have, but I, I determined that I wouldn't as hard as it got. I got on government housing, food stamps. I rode the public bus. I remember having, you know, quarters in a Ziploc baggie because I didn't have a washer and dryer and, um, and it sucked. And I remember thinking, I hate this life. And I remember thinking how much money I had when I was being trafficked. And I remember thinking the nice car I drove when I was trafficked and I would have to go, you know what, like devil, I would rather ride the bus than put myself at risk again, than put my baby at risk again. I cannot raise my daughter in a place where she could be hurt. I have to get on this bus with a smile and my quarters and that's okay. I don't care what other people think. I don't care that I'm getting looked at. I can remember pulling out my food stamp card and um, the cash cashier saying something about it, you know, really rude and, and disrespectful. And I just thought this man has no clue what I'm on the verge of and what I've worked so hard to escape. And so I wanted to, I, what all that was in within me wanted to scream at him. You don't know what I just came through. You know, I was so hurt by 
his flagrant like just dismissal of me as a human because I had food stamps. Like it just, those little things eat at you when you're trying to rebuild. And it just, you just have to block him out and go, you know what? This guy doesn't know. Screw him. Someday, <laughs> like you just have to, you have to tell yourself up, be your best hype person. Try to keep just putting your, your next foot forward every day and holding on to the dream. That's what I think is also just key. Um, my, again, I don't mean, I feel like I'm rambling. I'm so sorry. But one of the things that uh, helps me with this is my, I know I use the, the term race and hurdle. My daughter's a, like we said, she's a track runner. She's a hurdler. And when she was in middle school, I think maybe even been her freshman year in high school, I asked her, what is it that you look at when you're running? Are you looking at each hurdle? Are you looking at the finish line? What are you looking at? And she said um, that she's taught to look at something that doesn't move. Uh, the rooftop of a building, a tree, a mountain, that you keep your eye on something that's consistent and stable, and then you just run. And you don't think about the hurdles, you just run. You keep your form, you know, you're practicing for your form to be habitual, and you keep your eyes on something that's consistent, and then you run as fast as you can, right? And I think of that in life. It's like, can we anchor our eyes to our vision of what we want for our future and just run? Don't worry about what comes in the way. Don't worry about what people throw at you. Don't worry about the naysayers. Just run and figure it out. If you hit a hurdle, it's okay. You're not disqualified. Keep running. Keep running. Like I just want every woman to do that in her own life in the race that she's running. And yeah, that's what gets me motivated. Uh, I love so much of that that I can't even just pull out one little snippet and say like, this is my takeaway. Um, <laughs> that was very profound, I think, particularly. Uh, I love all of your analogies because I, I also used to run track, but I had never thought of that because I was always just focused on the finish line. Um, so <laughs> That's uh, cool. I didn't know you ran track. Uh, I did. Yes. Not the hurdles though. I would be a little bit too scared. I was, even if somebody was just like, oh, like, can you hop over this hurdle? Nope. <laughs> um, I do not like that. But I did pick up on how you said, you know, your your story is very unique, but you did say everybody has a story, which I think is true. Everyone has, um, you know, something I talk about fairly frequently is we all have a different level of capacity. We all have, all have a different level of, we all have a different definition of what in our life, based on our experiences, is really challenging. Um and then that shapes, you know, everybody's unique story. And I wanted to ask your advice or, or just see what advice you have for our listeners just on the importance of telling our stories, what you have learned, telling yours, of course, over and over again now, but just advice on the importance of telling our stories. Yeah, I mean, I think stories matter. Stories move um, people's hearts and emotions. Data doesn't always move people as much as story does, right? Story brings in um, an emotional component to the data that can corroborate um, what you're sharing. And so that's, you know, for me, that's important because of the work that I'm in is just making sure it's not just my story, but that this is a common theme within victims, just because I, I identify red flags and help help with that. So I tend to go that way. But one-on-one, -on -one, like stories matter. You know, sharing the moment just now where it's I'm on the public bus with quarters and the cashier that's looking at me like I'm disgusting because I have like that is a more moving moment than just sharing like data on on single moms. Right. Like it's just you can feel it. All of us can with whenever you hear a story 
you can sense what's happening and you can relate. You can relate with all of the feelings of embarrassment, shame of how I've gotten into this situation, belittled by someone over you or someone publicly. Like we all have had a moment like that. You can't live through middle school and not have a moment like that, okay? We all know what that feels like. And to imagine feeling like that as a grown woman when people have no clue about the context of the horror that you just ran from, that you would be a little more empathetic when you see somebody in front of you pull out a food stamp card, for example, and you think, you know, I have no clue what that lady's lived through. Good for her. I wish that was our response, not here we go again, or whatever people have thought of when I've done it, right? I, I don't necessarily know exactly what people are thinking, but I can imagine just based on things I've read and seen online. But right. I think it cultivates empathy for one another. It cultivates um, it cultivates grit to know, like, I love that story. I want to try to do that too. I think it just um, humanizes people's situations so that we can be more connected. It's such a divisive world we're in right, right now. So many trolls on the internet. It's so many. I, I read the craziest thing someone said recently. They were like, here's all the troll comments they've gotten. They shared on stories, all the negative things. And then she shared about who those people were. Like she actually went and clicked their button, read what they did for a living, showed their family, not that they, she went and showed the family photos, but like, these are normal people. These trolls are in our, they're in our churches, they're in our offices, they're in, their, they're in the buildings with us. These aren't like these mean people that live in basements that nobody knows about, right? Like these are actually everyday people that are making these horrible comments. And I want to make sure that we don't fuel that, that we're not a people that wants to be divisive, but can try to be empathetic. And I think stories help with that. Um, so yeah, stories matter. Tell your story. A couple tips I would give would be um, be really thoughtful around where your story ends and someone else's begins. And that's, we don't live in bubbles. So those are going to be really hard lines to find. Um, I struggled with this when writing a memoir. I could have told the backstory of every single girl I was trafficked with. And I deleted a couple um, pages because I was telling their story of how they got into trafficking. And I realized um, those weren't my stories to tell. And those were their stories to tell. And I didn't want to put words in their mouth or, um, you know, try to simplify <clears throat> the context of their childhood because of my word count. Like that wasn't fair. Um, thinking through my my parents, I could have shared a lot more about my childhood. Um, that's not who my parents are today. And those are their stories to tell. And so I tried to share as much of my experience that I remembered as a small child, but trying to find where that line ended and it became their story to tell. And sometimes it's not as clear black and white. It's definitely like a, a muddy gray, but I think to just be thoughtful around it. Um, I would be also thoughtful around how this could affect your in the future. And I'm not to say that means don't share anything, just be thoughtful around. For me, I've always felt the pressure to share every tiny detail for, um, for accuracy. And so that people knew like, I wasn't lying here, let me tell every detail. And I realized very quickly, that's actually not healthy. And there are some things that you can preserve and protect about your story for your own future relationships. Um, that word omit actually um, in in the Bible, and I'm like, oh, my preacher self here in, my, in the Southern, I'm in Texas now. So, um, but you know, Mary hid it in her heart that she was pregnant 
with Jesus. If you're a New Testament follower, Mary hid it in her heart. That word hid in the Greek is actually to omit. Um, it wasn't to lie. It was to preserve and protect from pest, from uh, for preservation. It was for all these reasons that we preserve, you know, jelly or fruit, whatever it is. So thinking through that way, like what is parts of my story that I'm not going to omit because I'm I'm not being truthful, that I'm going to leave out because that's something deeply intimate that mm -hmm. I want to preserve and protect that relationship. People ask me all the time what it's like to get married after trafficking. There are things that I'm going to save because that's something that I want to preserve and protect for my marriage. And it's not all of my details to share about my personal intimate life for everyone to have. Like, it's okay for you to draw a boundary and say, I'm not going to talk about that component. I might share a little to be helpful. I'm going to share every detail on a public stage. I might share with one or two friends or survivors that I'm mentoring and have gotten close with. We might share personally. I'm not going to put it on every YouTube channel, right? And so mm -hmm. I think just being thoughtful around what is omitting, um, because I've seen more people overshare than anything. Um, and then they regret sharing some of those details publicly and they, and they wish they would have shared it a little bit different. So things that are really important to relationships, take your time. It's okay to omit it on the first time around and give yourself a year to process through it and talk privately with people, see how, you know, see how it goes. Like, I, I wish I would have done that more. I just jumped right in. My very first speaking engagement was a public debate with a dominatrix. Literally, that was my first speaking engagement at Oxford University. Yeah, it was quoted in a book called The Equality Illusion by Kat Banyard with my maiden name, Rebecca Saffer. You can go find that quote in that book. That was the day of my <laughs> first speaking engagement with a dominatrix. And oh I didn't even show that I was trafficked. I literally shared that I was forced into prostitution by my boyfriend, but trafficking was for like kidnapped kids overseas. That's what I said because I didn't know. I had no mm -hmm. clue about this issue, this industry. I had no clue about laws, about what advocates had been fighting decades for, that I was saying com something completely opposite. I was so new to a field that I wished I would have done more research and given myself more time and healing before I just went so widely public. Um, so those would be tips that I give people if you're really like wanting to get out there and start sharing your story. Yeah, that's really good. I think I agree with you. I think that sharing our stories is extremely impactful. I mean, because it gets not just at your at your head and at your logic, but it gets to it gets to people's hearts instantly. Um, but I appreciate you also encouraging us to give ourselves permission to omit. Uh, and I didn't know that that background about the root of of that word, but um, I appreciate you giving us permission openly to omit certain things and being mindful of our future selves and of the other people in our lives. But something that you are pretty open about in your story is the vulnerabilities that you had to begin with. You said that you were a young girl who pursued love in all the wrong places. And you grew up thinking that love was about being pursued, being adored and being desired. And I wanted to ask you from that place, which I think a lot of young women can probably relate to, um, what would you say to your high school and college aged self? Yes, that's a good, it's a good one. Um, I would tell her that she is, she is way 
she is smarter and capable and more resilient than she's giving herself credit for <laughs> that you even know you have so much to offer i think of these surprise parties you know if you've ever put on a surprise party or been given a surprise party it's so exciting when you pull one off and i want you to walk into your life knowing you have an incredible surprise for coming for you your life has this incredible surprise party and you're not going to know every detail it's going to be hard along the way but it's going to be worth it when you, when this when the when the future pulls off a great surprise it's so worth it so don't give up too soon don't um, give up too quickly to keep leaning in of like oh i can't wait to see what the surprise party is going to be like that's it's what beautiful. I would hope for you and for everyone listening. And that's what I would tell little me. <laughs> that is that is so, so beautiful. Uh, my very last question is I just want to ask you to tell us how we can best support you, of course. Um, to everybody listening, I've linked in the bio where we can follow Rebecca on Instagram. It's I'm Rebecca Bender. Um, that's her handle. She does so much valuable educating just on that one platform alone. And I've linked in the show notes to where you can donate to the Rebecca Bender initiative as well. And where you can purchase her book, it's called in pursuit of love, one woman's journey from trafficked to triumphant. And I really, really highly recommend it. And as a thank you, Rebecca, for your, for your time and all that you do, Drew and I are, are donating to the Rebecca Bender Initiative. Oh, thank um, you. I know we are, I am so, so thankful. And I want to invite everybody listening. I want to invite you to consider that as well by donating. You are donating to a very, very well-run, very transparent and clearly compelling cause. And you're also helping to impact 368 communities and hundreds of survivors of human trafficking across the country. So um, that is my invitation to all of the listeners. Aww, but thank you so much. Absolutely. Do you have anything to add on how we can best support everything that you're doing? No, that's so kind of you guys. Thank you. And thanks for, you directed everyone to the right places. Yeah. Go on our website to find all this stuff, RebeccaBender.org. Handles are there, books there, resources are there. And thank you so much for your partnership. It really means a lot. Thank you. No, thank you. I've I've gleaned so much from this, from your book, from, from following you, from everything. So thank you so much. Yes. All right. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on the Best You Can Be Leadership Podcast. If you are as excited as I am about diving into our potential and stepping into the very best versions of ourselves, then follow me on Instagram at bestyoucanbe and don't be afraid to send me a message. You can also visit bestyoucanbe.com and fill out a contact me form. I can't wait to meet you. In this episode, I've stuck my hand out to introduce myself to you, but go ahead and do the same for me. Tell me who you are, what your story is, and what you would like to see most in lessons to apply to your leadership experiences. Until next episode, keep going, keep growing, and keep becoming the best you can be. 